What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, investor, and writer helping to build the Bitcoin and digital cryptocurrency ecosystem. As a founder of Masari, a top research news, metrics, and live data provider for crypto, Ryan has been behind the longest-running crypto daily brief read by over 35,000 people. Before Masari, Ryan was a managing director at Coindesk, so it's safe to say he knows a thing or two about what's going on in the crypto space. Like myself, Ryan is arguably a professional tweeter, engaging daily in the nonsense of crypto Twitter, interacting with farm animal, animals, degenerate gamblers, and insanely wealthy, spoiled teens. But in this episode, I look forward to getting Ryan's thoughts on crypto in 2021, specifically what we'll see from Bitcoin in the DeFi space throughout the year. Ryan Salkus, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show for a second time. No, it's, uh, it's been a while. The world has changed. Yeah, last time we spoke, I think was April. So uh, you were in full lockdown in New York and everything was really just uh, gearing up. Yeah, it might have even been uh, sooner. I measure, uh, I measure time periods last year in epics based on where I was living at the time. And I know where we spoke. It was in my second living location out of five last year. So I, I know, uh, I think it was actually in, in March. Yeah, in March. Uh, yeah, yeah been uh, March. early March. So in um, any case, good to be back. And, uh, and, and obviously crypto hasn't skipped a beat. It's been, uh, it's been weird, but a long, strange trip has been. Uh, better than we would have expected in March. So once again, before we get into the questions, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week, I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in your network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like the podcast, follow me on Twitter, you check out my website, join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. So first, Ryan, I'm still plowing through your treatise uh, on 2020 in review, however many hundreds of pages it is, it's basically war and peace for crypto. <laughs> Blows my mind that one man can compose such a thorough document. What, what was the thinking behind this massive undertaking? Uh, well, I, I like to joke and throw in Sopranos references every once in a while. There's a scene Please. in the Sopranos uh, after Tony gets shot in one of the mid seasons um, where he goes and he kind of looks around for the toughest guy in the room and his crew to pick a fight with because he's afraid that he he thinks that they might think he's weak when he's recovering from this gunshot wound. Um, and, uh, and so every once in a while, when I write, I, I try to, I try to write and show that I basically to myself, but also the team that I still, I still got it, uh, especially given how prolific and, and, and excellent the, uh, the analysis has been from our, our, uh, uh, much newer and, and scrappier team. Um, but, uh, but really it's, it's just a good mental framing for, uh, for the year ahead. I think it helps me, you know, think, think through strategy for, for the company. It, um, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I think declutters, uh, a lot of the, the garbage, uh, that, that is going on in the industry, what's actually interesting, what's not. Um, and, uh, and I think the biggest difference between, you know, this year's post and a few years ago, um, when I started these, um, uh, the original was a hell of a lot easier to put together. I think I wrote it in about a day because it was essentially 95 tweet length uh, insights uh, on the state of the market. And you could do it at that point because a lot of what was happening in late 2017 was just, you know, kind of garbage in, garbage out. It was, it was white papers. It wasn't products. It was uh, insane valuations uh, versus where we are today. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, usage um, or actual economic models that really made sense. Um, and you know, back when we started Masari, 
we thought um, we would ultimately aggregate high signal information uh, for professional investors and, and, and uh, infrastructure companies, trying to you know, kind of build the, the foundation for the future of, of the web and, and for finance. Um, and that was not going to look anything like the 2017 crop of ICOs, but probably look more like the economic models that we've seen this year. And there was just a ton of uh, actually interesting developments to cover this year um, for, uh, from, from everything from kind of Web3 to DeFi to stable coins, you know, the, 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 the foundation has been built and, and, and things are real this time around, um, if still aggressively valued, uh, they're, they're at least real. So I'd say that's, that's a good kind of foundational document um, for us as we think about the industry. And really, uh, although it's long, it, it's almost like 12 sector reports stapled together uh, in some respects. Or to go one step further, even you know, 120 tear sheets uh, based on the, the different sections and, and the different topics that are highlighted. So, uh, 120 newsletters stapled together uh, in, in addition to you know what we what we come out with daily. Makes sense. You're flexing on your employees, basically showing <laughs> showing them that you're uh, you're still the boss. But it, it's interesting that you say you know in the past it would have been a very quick document, but now there's far more to cover and, and it's far more real. And that gave you a basis to look at 2021 and likely what we can expect, which makes you the perfect person for me to talk to that, uh, talk about. So 2021, here we are, it's January. Bitcoin has reached 42,000 and had a slight retracement as we speak. What is at this point, would you say the main story for Bitcoin? Well, you know, institutional money comes in kind of like a, a tsunami. Uh, and, you know, people have talked about this uh, institutional wave of capital that was going to come in basically for as long as I've been in the industry. In the 2013 bubble, it was Wall Street's coming in 2014. Uh, in the 2017 bubble, it was, you know, Wall Street's coming in 2018. <laughs> um, and and we're, we're starting to see it now. But the, the difference is um, MMT, uh, negative interest rates, uh, perpetual lockdowns, and, and just you know, kind of unbridled enthusiasm for, for permanent transfer payments and, and stimulus, I, I think it's, it's created a perfect storm where people are actually paying attention to um, new types of assets that, that could protect against an inflationary shock in, in, the, in the years ahead. Like we've never had that as a backdrop. That's always been scoffed at because inflation has never been high, at, at least in, in living memory for, for many you know, investors and professionals in the West. So um, I think that that narrative environment has changed. Um, the fact that Bitcoin has been through a few of these quote unquote catastrophic cycles and uh, remains, I, I think has is, is caught the attention for, uh, from, from major investors. And, and it, it just comes down to a bit of a snowball effect. Um, the other uh, kind of major uh, trend that I think is, is different this time around is there is uh, as close as you're going to get to a, a surefire trade, um, if you're an institutional investor in, um, in playing the grayscale premium game, uh, that uh, trade last year really kind of hit its S curve. Um, and um, and you know, what, what I mean by that is you know, basically uh, accredited and, and institutional investors being able to buy Bitcoin at fair value and then uh, ultimately liquidating or, or transferring their positions in, in six to 12 months. Um, through uh, the public markets and, and this kind of weird esoteric vehicle that, that you know, has basically been created because the SEC refuses to actually approve a Bitcoin ETF. Um, so you know, there, there's kind of like a, a premium that you can earn. Uh, there's a ton of money that can be made. Um, 
just um, with the the basis trade in the uh, in the derivatives market. So uh, cover to cover, you know, the in in a uh, financial system that is you know ruthlessly competitive, there seems to be a little bit of alpha for whales um, in in the Bitcoin markets right now. And, um, and, and that's obviously going to attract some, some deep-pocketed investors. So it's a virtuous cycle on that end. It's interesting. So you touch on, there's sort of two narratives for institutional adoption. It's not just the Michael Saylor micro strategy, inflation hedge, you know, buying Bitcoin with your cash reserves. There's also just this simple trade with Grayscale that existed where it was basically printing money, right? Because mm-hmm. it trades so high above NAV. And it's basically a crappy product that for the for the public that uh, institutions can take advantage of. That is going to disappear, right? We're going to see an ETF approved. I don't know if that's going to be this year or in the future. There's going to be competitive trusts that probably uh, you know do not have that premium. So, assuming that disappears and we see an ETF, is the other side of it, you know, the the inflation hedge side enough for institutions to continue buying? Uh, well, I think Bitcoin's got a lot of momentum right now, and it's it's you know public market investors typically ride waves of momentum. Uh, you you don't really see them reverse course uh, over overnight too quickly, um, and uh, and growth at all costs has been prioritized uh, certainly in 2020, but but even beyond that for the last you know several years. So. Uh, and that's just a function of where kind of interest rates are and and uh, and where the economy is generally. Um, the, you know, I I I don't know uh, if this is you know some people have said is this going to be like the last Bitcoin bubble, right? So is is this the bubble that will not pop um, because we just hit mass adoption and and Bitcoin becomes just such a meaningful part of of every treasury portfolio, right? So you have um, cash, gold, crypto um, as, as kind of your, your safe, haven, safe haven stable assets. And then you'll have your other kind of in, income um, producing properties as well. You know, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I do think um, because you're talking about uh, institutional investors, um, tsunamis uh, don't like, it's not like a movie, like Deep Impact, where you just see like the thousand foot wave kind of, you know, engulfing the cities and the coastlines. Um, the tide typically goes out and it, it looks just like, you know, uh, a small wave that's coming in. And then you realize that it's, it's just a relentless flood of, um, of, of water. And, and in this case, I think that's what, what's going to happen with institutional capital. Um, as many of these investors have a pretty significant lead time between when they first learn about Bitcoin, when they have conviction to buy Bitcoin, and when they actually can execute their first trades. And we're just starting to see the very, very tip of, of that iceberg. Do you believe that the ETF is what would really open the floodgates because it would you know, give them a way to gain that exposure in a manner that they're familiar with and obviously is safe and would not require the same kind of approvals and uh, vetting? You know, honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't know the, the answer to that. Um, maybe for some uh, investors that need to hold Titled securities uh, and you know like 40 act funds and and, and things like that, um, but you know a lot of the interest right now is you know family offices, um, you know various you know, institutions that uh, now have institutional grade custody options, whether it's through Fidelity, Anchorage, Bitgo. Um, you know there's. 
there's options this time around that didn't exist last time. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the custody challenge was probably the gating item more so than the, um, is this available as a, a publicly traded security? Um, and I've even seen, um, I think, you know, JP Morgan came out with an analysis last, uh, last week that a bunch of people laughed at. I actually think it might have some merit that um, an ETF approval could um, be a short-term dampener of demand because you, you basically killed a grayscale trade. Um, it's hard to, to say one way or the other uh, where the, you know, how that impacts supply demand. And, um, and if the demand right now is more of a mirage or, or if it's real and you're just starting to see, again, the, the, the early part of the, the tide coming in. So if this is the tip of the iceberg and the few companies that we've heard about uh, gaining exposure are just the first, what does it look like when we start to see much larger corporations gain exposure to Bitcoin? Because we all know that right now, I mean, it's fun to talk about an Apple or a Facebook putting a percentage of their treasury, but the asset's way too small. Market cap is way too low for that to be meaningful for them. So what does it look like as it scales up? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that I agree that the market cap is too low to be meaningful. I mean, if uh, if you're talking about um, kind of daily liquidity and, and kind of accessibility of the trade, you know, it's there. You know, Sailor has been able to accumulate, you know, close to a billion dollars worth, worth of Bitcoin in six months. Um, uh, you know, Mass Mutual, 100 million, Square, 50 million. Um, and, and I'm sure there are going to be other announcements in short order of, of you know, similar directional trades. Um, I shouldn't say trades, like directional investments and kind of long-term, you know, kind of treasury reallocations um, or portfolio reallocations. Now that this is is you know really getting discussed more widely, um, so uh, you know my my general sense is um, that you're you're in the short term looking at the gold market as a proxy. So you know maybe. Um, the like the the GLD equivalent you know size of the market and 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 the, the securitized uh, portion of the gold market so maybe you know two trillion dollars you know three x from here that gets you close to a hundred thousand Bitcoin, um, but I actually think that um, you know the, the the framing and this happened uh, in a discussion that that Balaji Srinivasan and I had uh, right before the holidays when we were talking about you know the the, the theses, and um, and he made the point that you know the aberration here is not. Um, Bitcoin's performance, the aberration is the, that fiat currency uh, has been accepted for you know, 50, 60 years um, when historically there's always been some type of you know, hard money backing, um, backing currencies. And um, if you look at the framing uh, of, of Bitcoin as like the reserve currency for you know, internet money, um, and and you know a true replacement to the fiat regime, then you know gold kind of goes out the window because no one cares about gold right now anyway. Ever since we've gotten off the gold standard, um, is that you know many multiples higher than um, than the gold market today? Because you're you're starting to see it stockpiled um, as an actual long term reserve. Um, so I'd I'd actually look less at institutional uh, investors and more at whether we see our first central bank purchases this year as, as kind of the, the real catalyst for whether we get into the potential hundreds of thousands of dollars range for, for, for Bitcoin. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen central bank purchases, but we definitely know that in countries like North Korea, Iran, you know, I mean, Iran is mining, Venezuela, places like that, where it's been, I guess, a necessity, whether that's to, for, uh, you know, to bypass sanctions or whatever, we are seeing uh, nation states that are interested uh, in some manner. So I guess when you say central banks, we're talking about 
a European central bank or, or the United States or something, something like that. I do really think that that could be on the horizon in 2021. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I certainly hope so. And I'd like to see uh, some Western developed economies and, and their central banks uh, start initiating positions. Unfortunately, I, I doubt that they'll be the first movers. Um, but, you know, we've got 70% of mining capacity in China. Um, Russia has replaced the US dollar with gold uh, as its top reserve asset. I'm sure they're not far behind when it comes to, you know, Bitcoin uh, purchases as well to complement that. Um, Iran, Venezuela, you know, Turkey, North Korea, there's a pattern here and it sucks mm -hmm. <laughs> from, from an optic standpoint. So uh, if we get the Swiss bank uh, or, uh, or, or, you know, um, the Brits to start stockpiling this, I think, uh, I think that'd be a welcome change um, from, uh, from, from the cast characters that we've seen so far. But, you know, having said that, it, it doesn't change the fundamentals behind the investment theses and it doesn't change the Western institutional money that's coming in outside of the central banks. If you had to play devil's advocate, what are the threats to Bitcoin in 2021? Uh, well, I think it's just that. I think it's regulatory optics um, and uh, overreach on um, self-custody of, of assets, right? So, uh, you know, since 20, you know, basically since I got in, you know, into the industry, 20, 20 even as far back as, as you know, 2012, going back to the Mike Hearn days, um, and, uh, and the concept of, of coin taint, uh, people uh, within the industry were talking about this two-tiered system of blacklisted and whitelisted addresses in Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, and I think the biggest risk is um, global regulatory overreach that, um, that basically makes it extremely difficult to go between the regulated on and off ramps and then you know, any type of um, either self-hosted wallet or you know, peer, actual uh, non-custodied peer-to-peer transfer or even you know, interaction with smart contracts. Um, I think that's a real risk. Um, I, I don't put um, kind of majority probability on, on that actually kind of crippling us, but um, in theory, it, it, it could be a you know, massive headwind um, if, uh, if governments coordinated on that. I tend to think that they have bigger fish to fry with COVID though. I, I, I would imagine so, but you know, it's on the docket. Uh, we, we, we know that and they did it over the winter holiday and didn't give people much time to, to discuss or react. So it is a bit uh, well, disconcerting. That's, 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 that's a Trump administration yeah. that's doing a lot of shady shit sure. on the way out. So I, sure. you know, sure. uh, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll see what sticks. Yeah. Right. I, it's just, it's definitely worth, we'll noting. It's definitely worth noting that it's, it's all, you know, that it, it's, it's on the radar. It's certainly mm -hmm. not theoretical anymore. We've always talked about, you know, you can never ban Bitcoin, but you can certainly make it really difficult to get your money in and out of it if you're trying to go to fiat. And that's sort of what we're talking about here to, to some degree. I really hope that that doesn't happen. And speaking of regulators, uh, you know, I think Bitcoin is pretty much in the clear uh, being deemed a security. Ethereum probably as well, but you know, it's ripple time, right? I mean, they're, they're obviously coming after them. That's very clear. What are the implications of that, do you think, moving into the coming year for XRP itself and anything else that might be thrown uh, in that basket? Um, you know, I think the, um, uh, you have to look at, at Ripple and XRP separately from pretty much everything else. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, Gensler has, has you know, pr been pretty thoughtful about how he's looked at the industry historically. He's been, uh, I think, critical and 
um, and and I wouldn't expect a departure in uh, an SEC stance uh, with respect to Ripple in particular. But um, everything below that bar, it, you know, it it I I I don't I can't think of another asset that um, that really seems to be within the SEC's crosshairs right now. Hypothetically, um, you know, DeFi protocols could run into some trouble, but um, I, I don't know whether you're going to see as aggressive a stance towards crypto um, from the SEC in particular uh, as, uh, as you did, you know, in the previous administration and, and, and under, you know, Clayton's watch. Um, we already have at least one ally um, in the SEC ranks uh, in, in, you know, Commissioner Peirce. So um, I, I do think there's an opportunity to get a couple of other swing votes when it comes to the Bitcoin ETF. I, I got a lot of confidence that that's going to happen. And if we see a Bitcoin ETF, uh, that probably means that we are going to see a friendlier SEC in general, which hopefully leaves the door open for more no action letters, faster, you know, Reg A approvals, faster uh, uh, um, clarifications and, and interpretive letters on on things like DeFi, so that um, you know the the U.S. companies don't get left behind. So you think that other companies that ICO'd in 2017 might be not thrown in the same basket as XRP, maybe treated like kick, you know, a fine or something like that, um, but not, you know, we're, we're not looking at a heavy, heavy hammer. Yeah, I think um, uh, I, 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 who knows, right? But Ripple is is so large in comparison to everything else um, that came to market in, in 2017, um, and it's also based in the U.S. So it's kind of the right. um, it it really is a unique animal. Um, the the SEC has already you know made its thoughts known on uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, you know there a lot of the higher profile uh, ICOs in uh, 2017 were either international. Uh, or they um, they came to market really before uh, it it became obvious that the SEC was going to treat you know pretty much all these fundraises as as you know unregistered securities offerings, um, and then you know last but not least you know a lot of the interesting projects today are are you know DeFi assets and they're they've got a much stronger case as to how they're decentralized uh, from from the opening gun than the 2017 variety of these tokens that raised a ton of money basically just on white papers. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there are, are, you know, kind of sizable differences across the board and, and, you know, hopefully that's reflected in a little bit more certainty and a little bit less aggression from the SEC. Right. Well, I mean, DeFi was the hot button topic of, you know, the back half of 20. 2020, certainly. So let's talk about how that looks. I mean, we talked about what Bitcoin looks like in 2021. How about everything else, right? Where does, what's Ethereum's role? And then how about all these other protocols? Uh, you know, obviously they're on Ethereum or trying to compete. Uh, sorry, uh, all the other DeFi protocols or yeah, all D the DeFi other specifically. Ones? Yeah, DeFi specifically. Um, well, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty conservative with my portfolio and, uh, and if, you know, more or less just stuck with currencies and then, uh, you know, what I'd call the, the DeFi blue chips, which you know, probably won't be a surprise for any of, of your listeners. Um, so I think, uh, there, there will absolutely be winners in, uh, the, the synthetic asset, uh, market in the lending market, um, in the decentralized exchange market and, um, and, 
uh, in the you know asset management uh, market. So uh, right there, you've you've kind of got the the easies, uh, right? Ave, synthetic, Wi-Fi, um, you know, just just to name a few, and and, and Uniswap um, and, and Sushi for the decentralized exchange base. So uh, the, the the reason I think you know all those are interesting. There's actually fees that pass through the network, and the the fees are at you know, relatively large scale right now. So they're, they're not just based on, you know, future expectations. Certainly a lot of the valuation is reflected in, in, in outsized future expectations, but that doesn't mean um, that the, uh, the fundamentals of, of any of these projects are, are broken per se. Um, I would say, you know, maybe the one missing um, component of the DeFi stack right now is, is actually um, decentralized uh, algorithmic stable coins. And there are a few, Experiments uh, in this realm right now between um, like empty set dollar and um, and Frax and a uh, new protocol that I've invested in uh, called Fay Protocol, but um, I think the um, the the long short is you're you're absolutely going to see uh, value accrual uh, in DeFi and you know I I typically think about DeFi versus Ethereum. Um, as you know, just putting a relative value hat on, you know, where 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 uh, you know, people want to be positioned uh, for for 2021, and right now, you know, DeFi at uh, 13 billion versus you know Ethereum at, at 120, right? Should should DeFi be 10% market share or more of Ethereum, given that that ETH basically is a DeFi settlement chain? Uh, I don't know the answer. 2017, um, it was a you know ICO platform, and that that certainly has uh, has has changed now. But well, I mean, it's it's it, it, ICOs are still decentralized finance, right? Course. I mean, that was de- decentralized capital formation. It's just a different flavor this year. Um, so I, I and and by the way, I think that's fine. Um, like that's that's great. It, it's it's if you're going to be the backbone of the global financial uh, global decentralized financial system, like that's a pretty big fucking market. Uh, and I said as much on stage, uh, at, um, the, uh, 2019, uh, uh, ethereal summit, right. I was on stage with, with all the ETH heads and, uh, and you know, they, they were, they were very riled up that I said, uh, ETH is DeFi and nothing more because you can only have, you can only focus on so many things. <laughs> And uh, I mean, that, that's proven to be true because everything else gets pushed off chain uh, if it's not high value enough. Aren't those gas fees, transaction fees, you touched on the large transaction fees, aren't those prohibitive to growth in the DeFi space? I mean, there's times of late where if you want to send a hundred bucks, you pay $35 to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's that's temporary. You know, like Bitcoin had a, a miniaturized version of this in 2017 and then we had SegWit. Right and then and lightning and you, you say what you will about lightning as a scaling solution and, and whatnot. Um, the point is, Bitcoin found a way to re- route around its capacity constraints after a short amount of, of high fees. Ethereum, same exact thing. I could argue that there's much more um, innovation around the Ethereum scaling ecosystem than than there ever has been around Bitcoin. Sure. Um, it, it's almost not even up for debate um, in terms of you know layer two versus uh, you yeah. know, alternative layer one um, chains that that could route you know uh, demand back and forth. And I think there's going to be a lot of interoperability between um, various chains as well. So one way or the other, uh, congestion will come down. Uh, either Ethereum will lose and someone else will take its place with something that's better, faster, cheaper, and more secure. Um, or more likely, Ethereum will will win, continue to win, but certain 
um, uh, either high volume periods or, or certain applications will, will route either uh, on different layer one chains or, or you know, layer two. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you said it's a big enough use case because, hey, we're trying to replace the entire global financial system, right? I mean, is that a meme or is that really the potential of DeFi in a perfect world? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's in 10 years, it's, uh, the landscape's not gonna look like it does today um, for sure. But, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. And so my sense is whether it's Ethereum or something else that scales uh, incredibly quickly, uh, you're going to see it coming. Uh, you know, it might happen fast, but, you know, fast in the, uh, in, through the lens of, of how quickly can we disrupt global finance, you know, that takes years uh, to actually see some of those changes come to fruition. And um, I, I think if you look at like annual milestones, it's a good, uh, looking backwards, it's a good indication of, of kind of the pace of, of macro change that you could expect um, for decentralized finance going forward, right? 2015, Ethereum launches, 2016, you have the initial applications, 2017, you have the ICO boom where a lot of the other layer one competitors got funded. 2018, you had Maker. 2019, you started to see, you know, uh, a pickup in DeFi and, and de uh, decentralized exchange applications. Last year was all about yield farming and actually um, making sure that the capital, well, yield farming was important, right? Because yeah, I just laugh because got, I think of food coins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so you, 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 had, you had the liquidity in place um, to actually, um, you know, make these applications useful and tighten the spreads so they're competitive with, uh, with you know, uh, centralized alternatives. Um, and, you know, this year we've got a you know, few, few different things that could happen. But I think the biggest theme for the year is going to be reducing gas fees and, um, and actually seeing real usage on platforms not named Ethereum um, for, um, for you know, uh, a variety of reasons, not, not the, maybe the, the most important of which is just, you know, throughput optimization and, um, uh, and, and uh, the, the gas is too damn high. Uh, <laughs> the rent is too damn high. Yeah, I mean, yep. the speed and, and the reduction of fees are, are clearly the, the, the key there, I would imagine. But what happens, we're already seeing it. Uh, with actual banks, you know, starting to to take interest. Obviously, banks we now know now can custody assets. Shit, Kraken is a bank, um, but you know mm -hmm. can 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 custody Bitcoin. And now we've obviously seen that likely stable coins will be used by the legacy banking system as a replacement for SWIFT and, and ACH. So, what happens when the big boys come in and say maybe not sushi? <laughs> you know, we want to do this ourselves. Good luck. Uh, they're, they're just, uh, they are handcuffed. Banks are, um, are law firms with small business development teams and, uh, and technology arms. It's true. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, an extension of, of global government and they're almost definitionally never going to be able to, use, to move as fast as, um, as pure play technology companies. Now it's not to say, that um, people building in DeFi should just flout all the regulations and 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 you know ignore what's what's been uh, dictated from on high, um, but the point is, a lot of teams can just do that uh, and and do you know spin up projects anonymously and 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 once the uh, plumbing works, it's uh, it's there and it's consumable consumable for for anyone that's looking to interface with the system. So, um, I you know I don't think it matters like. 
we, we had this thing in the industry for a really long time of, of, you know, like being so eager that like, we're going to level up um, to the next grade, right? It, it's almost like school, right? You, you, you get out of middle school and then you got to get into the AP class. So you get into the AP class, so you get into a good college, you get into a good college and go to a good grad program. And then at some point in your life, you realize like, like there is no next step. Like, like it, it's basically just on you to kind of develop your own career and, um, and, and make your own living in your own life. And I kind of feel like we're at that point with crypto where it was like, you know, for, for a very long time, it was, if we can only get past the crypto anarchists and, and, and the technologists, if we can only get past the shitcoin traders, and uh, if we can only get past like the hedge funds, and if we can only like get to the banks, like there's going to be this promised land. And I think what's going to happen is people are going to turn around and say, who gives a fuck about JP Morgan? Binance right. and Coinbase are, are as big or bigger, or they're at least they're on a steeper trajectory. Um, and, and I think once that happens, uh, and once we start to see kind of de the decentralized uh, ecosystems get as large uh, as, you know, major financial firms, in, in some cases they already are, um, it, it's, it's going to start mattering less to people like what grade you're uh, you're you're jumping and 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 you know what milestone you've hit using traditional measures right. of success versus the sky is now the limit because this is a new frontier. It's so funny you talk about you know high school, college, uh, and, and all the classes, and then you look back and think I should have probably just played video games when I was fifteen and learned to code. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's sort of uh, where this is at, which is interesting. Yeah, but. You know, we envision this future where you completely opt out of the system altogether. You know, you're, you don't need a bank, you're gaining yield, even if it's on a, a Celsius or a, or a BlockFi or a Voyager, mm -hmm. and you're making your 9% and you can't get that in a bank. Is there a future where, I mean, certainly it's harder in America where you opt out completely of that system and you can just live your life, you know, in the DeFi ecosystem and, and go about your day? You know, first of all, I don't think so. And, and second of all, I don't know that we want that, right? You know, so the, the, the Citadel meme is, um, is extremely dystopian. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to think that um, if, if crypto is, is going to succeed at scale, you're going to have to grapple with the same societal challenges that, you know, we grapple with in, in, in the financial system. You know, just because... North Korea can mine Bitcoin doesn't mean we want them having a lot of Bitcoin. Um, just because you know people can you know move money at the speed of light doesn't mean that we you know are are you know excited that you know Hamas or or Al Qaeda or you know ISIS or, or you know any of these other you know up and coming terrorist groups uh, are going to be able to circumvent you know global sanctions. So um, you know I, I think the same is true when we, just when we talk about uh wealth distribution in general so i don't think it's a problem if uh crypto is ultimately taxed uh efficiently and, and people that have you know made a lot of money in this new economy um you know pay something to caesar uh in in terms of, of you know the gains that have accrued there's nothing wrong with that and i think it's probably healthy you'd rather that and some semi-functional uh regulatory regime for how to uh, make sure that this industry gets built out, you know, intelligently, then, um, then just say, you know what, it's kind of a binary black or white decision. Uh, you can either be your own bank and, and basically live in the shadows because that at scale, that, that is what's going right. to happen. You're going to need to file 
you already need to disclose on IRS forms that you, you know, if, if you've conducted any transactions, that will get extended one step further through, uh, I think, FBAR reporting in, in the next couple of years, uh, foreign bank account, something, uh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. disclosures. And, uh, and at that point, you basically have to make a decision about whether you're going to perjure yourself to the U.S. government or whatever country you're living in um, and tr truly live outside the law um, or if it's required uh, or, you know, you're, you're going to play by the rules and figure out, you know, how, how can we be uh, smart about um, treating this technology just like any other where it's going to have to fit in, in into society um, or you're going to have to emigrate or, or be an outlaw somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's right on the first page of the tax form now. Like you said, I mean, it's you don't even have to dig far to uh, find yeah, that exactly. disclosure. It's in the top third of the front page of your uh, yeah, of your taxes. Exactly. So yep. yeah, it clear, clearly it, it's very much in the spotlight. So um, the other thing, I, I mean, we've seen a huge emergence, obviously, is in the power and usage of, of stable coins. Um, to some degree, you could argue that they've sort of replaced Bitcoin as the cash part of the peer-to-peer uh, -peer cash from the white paper. And now Bitcoin has sort of moved into the store of value half and, and away from the cash. What Do you think that we will see an explosion now with banks and everything in the usage of stable coins and innovation in that space as well? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, think it, I think it's inevitable, you know, how interesting they are is a, is a separate question. You know, like there's, uh, will US dollars and euros and Swiss francs and yen, will they all be tokenized and, and tradable on blockchain protocols? Of course, um, like that's already true. Uh, they, they, they already exist just, you know, in there's varying shades of, of, uh, of regulations that um, those different you know, protocols are, are um, uh, operating under the, the framework of. I think for, for me, the bigger question is, can we actually bootstrap a, a truly resilient decentralized uh, stable coin or stable coins um, and, and a, a global reserve current, uh, similar to what the Libra team was aiming to do with Facebook In before theory. it was shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I tend to think that uh, we're going to find a lot of interesting experiments across the spectrum from partially collateralized, fully collateralized, algorithmic, you know, uh, fully regulated, you know, central bank digital currencies. Um, the, uh, the more regulated versions, uh, you know, are less interesting, but they're, they're going to continue to be massive. Um, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm spending more of my time thinking about the, uh, the decentralized alternatives, uh, because I think that's a game changer if we can actually have uh, a decentralized Bitcoin-like uh, protocol that doesn't fluctuate as wildly as, as the current alternatives. Does Tether concern you at all? No. Me either. I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, it's become such a small part of the market, actually, relative market cap. Well, it, but, but... Tether's, Tether, Tether's reserve doesn't concern me. Um, you know, I, I think enough, uh, you know, deep-pocketed traders do enough business Right. Um, with with Tether and, and with Bitfinex and know the principles that um, it, it it doesn't seem like uh, that much of a, a near term risk. Uh, again, it's in that could there be a coordinated global shutdown, crackdown, and seizure? Yes, potentially. Sure. Um, but you know that's already happened once at pretty significant scale just a couple of years ago with with Bitfinex. 
um, and uh, and the account seizures that they had, um, and the, uh, the kind of the, the alleged fraud and 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 uh, and theft that they had in, in I think 2018. So um, I don't know that um, it's going to be tough to shake uh, people's faith in Tether that are using it at, at real scale, and, sure. and that's you know in particular true for the, the global exchanges. So what else excites you about uh, this year well, that we haven't touched on? What else do you think that's coming in the crypto space that we can look, look for? Um, you know, I, I think uh, the multi-billion dollar question for uh, a lot of developers uh, on the smart contract side is on whether we will see uh, many different layer ones emerge as viable and competitive, like will they actually build uh, ecosystems that uh, can rival Ethereum's? And my my sense right now is that with uh, ETH roadmap looking like it's going to stop at at you know 1.5 plus rollups, the Ethereum community has already kind of resigned themselves to the fact that a lot of what they they want to do is going to be off. The primary Ethereum chain and off the primary Ethereum two shards, so uh, a lot of infrastructure is going to have to be built for cross shard compatibility and then layer one versus layer two compatibility. Um, as long as teams are, are are working on that problem on the infrastructure side, you know, kind of uh, portability between uh, you know different different basically you know blockchains entirely, you should see more uh, build around Cosmos and Polkadot and Solana and, and Near and, and Avalanche and, and so on down the list. Um, I, I don't know which ones are gonna fail and, and which ones are, are gonna make some serious inroads, but that's gonna be fascinating to watch over the course of the next year. Cause I think we're gonna get an answer pretty, pretty quickly um, as to which layer ones have staying power. I don't think this is something where you know, uh, a layer one project that's been in development for three years launches, doesn't hit scale, but then somehow has a magical resurgence in a few years. Um, I I think you'll probably see the winning handful of of layer one protocols emerge this year um, and and next year. And then, uh, and they'll be, they'll be incredibly hard to displace after that. What are your thoughts on the NFT space? Uh, it was another thing that we saw start to really, really bubble in, in 2020. And uh, honestly, it's kind of interesting. I haven't heard as much about it right now at the beginning of 2021, maybe just because Bitcoin's gone on such an aggressive bull run and all eyes are on the king. But uh, do you think that we'll see more innovation and, and excitement around NFTs uh, this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that at scale is going to be... Um, an incredibly interesting market. I, I tend to look at the uh, actual marketplaces um, as uh, as more interesting, just in terms of, you know keeping in tab uh, keeping tabs on things and and you know understanding you know, where there might be opportunities as an investor. Um, I haven't done too many deep dives uh, around the NFT market. One of our uh, analysts, Mason, uh, is has been doing a phenomenal job of tracking everything from social tokens and community tokens, digital art markets, kind of the metaverse uh, developments. Um, but uh, that to me uh, feels like a market that's probably a couple of years um, away from, from having its uh, you know, euphoric 
rise similar to what we saw in DeFi this year. I feel, so I guess said another way, I feel about NFTs this year, the way I felt about DeFi, um, maybe, you know, mid 2019. So uh, we'll keep, keep an eye on it, but I'd say, you know, uh, it's, it's hard for me to get really excited about uh, NFTs right now um, before, uh, you know, there's, there's actual development in, in kind of the VR space. Because I think gaming will probably be one of the first markets that, that it's that it's interesting at scale. Um, but you know, NFTs yeah, are, are it's like saying ERC twenty, right? It's it's just a right a because it's such a right. But, I mean, it's a vast. It's a but vast. I, but I think when most people talk about NFTs, they're they're talking about things like digital art and goods and tokenized data and things like that. Um, and uh, and and to me, like that genre of Web three assets is is probably still a, a little bit a ways away in the future. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that we'll be like, uh, you know, uh, buying and selling cars with NFTs and and our mortgages yet. But I do think mm-hmm. that that uh, is is potentially the future, much bigger than the the art side of it, honestly. But like you said, I think that that's sort of your knee jerk reaction when someone mentions NFT is to think about you know bidding on Picasso's bull and and, and art and such things like that. Well, go, so going go yeah, I mean, going back yeah. to the 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 you know high school college comparison. Um, you, I, um, I think the same thing happened with security tokens, right? You know, people were talking about security tokens, security tokens, security tokens. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, like the, the, the interesting thing is to create synthetic assets on chain that have security like properties, right? Like actual cash flow characteristics that, that you'd be able to value like a traditional security, but that are you know, now native to, uh, to crypto. And that's what we saw this year with DeFi assets. Um, so I think, uh, tokenization, again, it'll, it'll probably be insular and people will talk about tokenizing your mortgage and this and that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably the last thing that, that happens I agree. Uh, in, in my mind. It's probably all digital IP at this point. That makes total sense. So specific to Masari, what are you guys doing this year? Any big changes in, in uh, your operations or is it, you know, just keep, keep plowing through? Uh, well, I mean, we've 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 tripled uh, revenue in, in the last year, uh, so that doesn't sound like a lot f- by DeFi standards. But for for information, <laughs> but for, for in the for real world, three, yeah, three I mean, X in a year is pretty good. <laughs> for, for 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 subscription software businesses uh, in, in the information space is pretty good, and that that pace is accelerating because of a couple of new project uh, products that we have. Um, so uh, the the first thing that people see is a lot of our uh, our, our tech and, and tools are available for the community at large. Uh, so our, our new homepage uh, launched in early uh, early December, and um, even you know accounting for the Bitcoin rally, uh, we've seen just insane you know levels of, of spikes and um, all of our uh, traffic metrics, in particular time on site. So that. Uh, terminal-like feel, particularly for desktop, I think has become a go-to and a second screen for professionals. Um, once you kind of start with the free stuff, uh, a lot of folks kind of go down the rabbit hole to our pro and enterprise tiers, uh, where you know we put out daily you know research insights, have you know, best-in-class analyst coverage for assets not named Bitcoin and Ether, right? So the long tail or top 200 that people care about but just don't really have you know much reliable information on. Uh, and then we also cover uh, about 150 assets through our new Intel product that's been in closed beta, which is uh, kind of like a, a corporate actions alerts and monitoring system 
um, for infrastructure companies, projects, investors, anyone that's uh, you know covering multiple crypto assets that needs to keep tabs on things like governance changes, economic changes, you know, third-party listing uh, decisions, uh, stakeholder changes, or, or, or any type of, of technical or compliance issues that might arise with the tokens. So um, all three of those have, have you know, been going gangbusters in, in terms of you know, our metrics and, and, and growth, as you can imagine. Right. Um, but I think, you know, we're we're probably just getting started uh, to that end because um, we we as a company will likely always lag the Bitcoin market um, because of the Bitcoin wealth wealth effect and the fact that um, no one needs enterprise research if you're just focused on Bitcoin. Right. Um, you know, sure. You make the binary decision, you set the allocation, and then you know you figure out like how to actually store it and and right. and, and, and then call it a day. Um, but once you start going further down the rabbit hole. And uh, and start thinking, okay, what should be in my five asset portfolio, or or you know, which which of these you know protocols should we start like actually taking seriously um, from uh, from an infrastructure standpoint? That's where uh, you know we we've been you know pretty effective at at you know picks and shovels to um, to some of the the real hardcore crypto professionals. So true. In the '90s, you know, we would have said that Bitcoin was like weed, it was the the gateway drug, and then you get into like meth speed and crack over with uh, DeFi and, 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 and food coins and stuff. But that that's interesting. So it seems like your business is a good window into probably the general global interest in the mar- market as a whole, because you can see what kind of people are coming into and uh, into it and what they're interested in specifically. So are you yeah. seeing a large swath of retail, just average people who are you know, coming into your entry level products and, you know, looking for information or are we, you're talking more about family offices and hedge funds and sort of the bigger money, but the lower hanging institutional fruit. We have uh, I mean, we have a pro product that's competitively priced for like the, the hobbyist that's just really getting deep into the weeds and, and, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know, what, projects are interesting or, or you know, just generally come up the learning curve, whether they're a day trader or um, just kind of new newcomer to the space. Um, that's certainly a, a significant you know, portion of, of uh, our revenue, uh, particularly on the pro side. But um, last year and, and particularly in the last quarter, um, we've seen a shift uh, in, in revenue from just the individual professional into the enterprise. Um, and crypto enterprise, right? Not like the Wall Street banks, uh, although right. we do have you know, several large, you know, institutional uh, clients from the kind of you know the, the traditional realm. So um, I think uh, you know we'll, we'll certainly see more of that. Um, the again, the big difference between now and a few years ago, um, there are Web three assets that matter. There are DeFi assets and ecosystems that matter that are at scale. There are you know other layer ones beyond Ethereum that people have to pay attention to. There are you know legitimately interesting um, marketplace models and and you know all types of different stablecoin you know models that, that people need to wrap their heads around. So um, you could afford to ignore a lot of this shit last cycle. Sure. Not not true anymore, right? There's probably a hundred bona fide interesting assets. Um, that any investment fund, any you know, any any investor that's not a hardcore Bitcoin maximalist will say um, they should be keeping an eye on, and uh, and and that kind of uh, teases, I think, what will happen in the you know over the course of the next few years, where we'll go from 100, you know, maybe last 
cycle, it was 10 actually interesting assets. Now it's 100 and, and four years from now, it'll be 1,000 and so on. So uh, we're, we're positioned for that 100 to 1,000. So to right some degree, you just have to expand because the market is growing so fast and there's so many more assets to track and there's just so much more information and you have to be the hub for, for all of that. Uh, yeah, but you can only expand if you have revenue. So, right. uh, the, well, yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so, uh, people, uh, people are, are, you know, we're, we're at a trillion dollars in market cap and there's no sell side research. Right. So like that, that's the, um, that's the one liner that I think people, you know, like grok immediately there, there's, there's going to have to be a right sizing of the crypto information market in general you know, we're gonna have a slice of that. There's gonna be other data providers that have a, a decent slice of that. Um, you know, other, you know, subscription research, you know, uh, platforms as well. Uh, so I don't think it's, it's you know, winner, winner take all, but we're, you know, we're certainly in position A right now, as long as, as long as I don't fuck it up. So do you become Bloomberg and start charging, you know, like, God knows, what are they now? 50 grand for a yearly for a terminal? Is that the, the future of Masari? <laughs> Well, look, I mean, there's, there's certainly uh, common elements to our, our new look and feel and, and what we're building technically. Um, and, uh, and, and we certainly have the research team to, uh, to pull off uh, some of this at scale. So we'll, we'll see. I, I think um, the, the industry moves in cycles. Uh, we've got another whole cycle before uh, we're at Bloomberg type data needs. Um, uh, going back to you know something that I'd referenced earlier, you know, 2013 it was the um, the the crypto anarchists, the libertarians, and and kind of the early adopters. Um, from 2013 to 2017, it was like the retail crowd. 2017 and now, I'd say it's the professional crowd. So you know, we've still got a whole other four-year cycle by that logic to get into the actual legacy enterprise beyond just the first, you know, we're, we're finally just making traction with Bitcoin Ethereum. It's going to take another four years for, for, you know, the 100 assets that we think are interesting to get interesting to the, that, that next crop of, uh, of, of, of firms. So ways that to go. Well, I'll be looking forward to your, uh, your mayor run, uh, in New York city and then your, uh, presidential campaign when you get to Bloomberg status. <laughs> so, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so where can everybody follow you, keep up with you, check out Masari uh, after this conversation? Yeah, uh, head over to uh, masari.io, that uh, research that uh, report that you mentioned, still front and center. So you can uh, give that a read. And uh, if, uh, if you enjoy it, you can sign up for our newsletter pretty seamlessly from that download process. Um, I write daily. Uh, our analysts have been on fire uh, in terms of their daily insights yeah. pieces as well. And uh, and if uh, if you're too lazy to do all that, I'm uh, at two bit idiot on Twitter for the shit posts. Still the greatest name on Twitter, especially for someone who's running a serious business. I absolutely love it. But uh, for anyone who wants to know why he's too big an idiot, you can revisit our first uh, podcast conversation. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited for 2021. I don't know about you, but it feels like we really are on the precipice this year. I think so. Hope so. Fingers crossed. Thanks, right, Scott. Man, we'll, we'll do this a third time soon. Sounds good. <laughs>